funding for NJ Spotlight News provided by the members of the New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child, and RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Tonight on NJ Spotlight News, details of the congestion pricing plan revealed. So get ready to pay an extra $15 to enter Midtown Manhattan. Don't despair though, there's always mass transit as ground was finally broken today for the infamous Gateway Tunnel Project. These tunnels are more than portals of concrete and rebar. They're portals of opportunity. Plus, a new report finds gun owners seeing little to no value in securing their firearms at home. But a lot of folks are using sort of faulty information to estimate how much risk is involved in keeping my firearm loaded on my bedside table. Also, smoke-free casinos? State legislators are looking to finally ban smoking in casinos, but will it be bad for business? And the impact absolutely would, would be there economically. And fiscal fight, the expiration for a surcharge tacked onto the corporate business tax is set to expire, but proponents are crying foul. We do not give the largest corporations in our state a $1 billion tax cut on the backs of working people in our state. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. From NJPBS Studios, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Venozzi. Good evening and thanks for joining us on this Thursday night. I'm Brianna Venozzi. Drivers heading into Midtown Manhattan may have to shell out an extra 15 bucks starting next spring as part of the highly anticipated and controversial congestion pricing plan. New York City's Traffic Mobility Review Board today revealed recommendations for the pricing, which is lower than what was originally proposed, but it'll still hit New Jersey drivers hard. The move is meant to discourage driving south of 60th Street, which is is always jammed, but the news eclipsed another major transportation announcement today. Shovels finally in the ground on the long-delayed Gateway Tunnel project, which could give drivers who are now going to have to reach deeper into their pockets more mass transit options. Senior correspondent Brenda Flanagan reports. It feels so far off from what is fair right now, I'm, I, I don't know. Governor Murphy panned recommended congestion pricing rates that would charge cars headed into Manhattan's Central Business District an extra 15 bucks on top of regular tolls and trucks even more. It's an effort to control traffic jams and vehicle pollution and raise money for the MTA, but Murphy called it ill-conceived. And it's ripping off New Jersey commuters to pay for whatever financial failings the MTA has. We're considering all of our options, including further legal action. You got hardworking families getting whacked with a new, uh, you know, $15 a day tax on top of the $17 they pay to go over the, the bridge or through the tunnels, plus 
parking plus gas, you know, you know, talking about a fortune. The Transportation Mobility Review Board recommended daytime congestion pricing rates of 15 bucks a car with a big discount for overnight hours, $24 for small trucks and $36 for big rigs. As for discounts, it proposed $5 for cars taking the Lincoln, Holland, Queens, Midtown or Brooklyn Battery Tunnels, but no discounts for the George Washington Bridge. The board says it weighed both sides. We know that this is a controversial issue, but uh, but we really did uh, try to strike a, a balance of, of, of fairness. Chairman Carl Weisbrod says the board unanimously approved these recommendations to the MTA. He added they're designed to push trucks to opt for discounted overnight crossings, but critics charge big diesel rigs might seek to bypass the congestion pricing district entirely. But of course, you're going to have all these trucks try to avoid New York City, go to the outer boroughs in northern New Jersey and the GW Bridge. And, and you're going to have all this cancer-causing toxins release. That was a balance for us. Um, we do want to see truck traffic coming into the CBD go down, but at the same time, we don't want to see it go down at the expense of, of low-income communities. Mass transit advocates doubt trucks will divert to new routes to avoid the extra toll. I don't know who would make that decision to try to toll shop over the GW when it's already slammed. Um, that's not really what I think is going to happen. I think folks are going to be disincentivized from driving and hopefully they'll be looking to New Jersey Transit. Congestion pricing advocates claim higher tolls will help move folks out of their cars and onto mass transit. Talk about timing. One of the region's biggest passenger rail projects got its official Jersey kickoff today. One, two, three. Officials broke ground for the Gateway Project along Tunnelly Avenue, where a bridge built over the roadway will let rail lines connect to the new Hudson River tunnels. These tunnels are more than portals of concrete and rebar. They're portals of opportunity. Folks celebrated after a decade of fits, starts and stalls, Gateway looks like it's finally underway. The Biden administration's recent promise to kick in another $3.8 billion in funding helped boost the federal share up from half to more than 70% of Gateway's $16 billion price tag. Amtrak's chair, Tony Kosia, says if mass transit's properly built, folks will ride it. We are 15 to 20 percent on the Northeast Corridor ahead of where we were pre-pandemic. There is no question that there is a hunger and a demand for strong, efficient, safe, reliable passenger rail service. NJ Transit's rail ridership still lags at 70 to 80 percent of pre-COVID levels. The new tunnels won't be built until 2035. In North Bergen, I'm Brenda Flanagan, NJ Spotlight News. Rutgers researchers just released some surprising new insight on gun owners in New Jersey, finding that many keep at least one firearm stored unlocked and loaded in their home. That's despite evidence showing secure storage of a gun reduces the risk of suicide and unintentional shootings and increased gun violence prevention efforts that emphasize safe storage as a way to prevent injury and death. For more, I'm joined by the lead author on the study, Mike Anestis. He's the executive director at New Jersey's Gun Violence Research Center. Mike, thanks for joining me. I really want to get into this report because it seems like we've talked for so long about the benefits of storing a firearm. And yet, despite that, 
not everyone sees the value in it. Yeah, and that's really the crux of our newest study that came out. It's just that the folks who are storing their firearms sort of as dangerously as possible, loaded, unlocked, they are seeing less value in any sort of secure storage, whether that's to prevent suicide or unintentional shootings or even just theft of the firearm. And if folks aren't seeing any value in the behavior, it sort of makes sense that they're not going to do it. Why is that, though? I mean, given all of the research that's out there. So I think it's a few things, but the biggest reason folks own a firearm is for protection at home. And so for a lot of folks, the message they've received over and over again is you need to have a firearm on the ready, because what if someone breaks into your home in the middle of the night, you want to get to it quickly. And I think people have come to a place where they overestimate how likely that horrible tragedy would be, and they underestimate how likely it is that someone in your own home is going to get hurt intentionally or not with that firearm. And so they aren't really just seeing the actual costs and benefits as they are. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a, a standard argument. If I have this as a means of protection for my family, I need to have quick access to it, not unloaded in a, in a storage box in a safe somewhere. But how often are these firearms getting into the wrong hands in homes? And I'm thinking about children in particular. Far more often than any of us really want to know. Unfortunately, these tragedies unfold daily over and over again. And that's not to, to say that a firearm has never been used successfully to defend a family. That's not the point. It's just that the outcomes that we are afraid of aren't happening as often as the outcomes that I'm talking about, particularly suicide. And so I think it's just that you know, we all accept a certain level of risk in our lives, but a lot of folks are using sort of faulty information to estimate how much risk is involved in keeping my firearm loaded on my bedside table. And are these, uh, I'll say, casual firearm owners who were researched in this study, or did it run the gamut to those who are in law enforcement or those who use firearms uh, for a, you know, myriad reasons? Yeah, it runs the gamut, great question. So this was a representative sample of folks living in nine states across the United States, including New Jersey. And so some folks were law enforcement, so folks were military or veteran, some folks had no affiliation with any of those types of organizations. They're just a member of your community who happens to own a firearm, and you're seeing these patterns across the board amongst the folks who are making these sort of riskier decisions about how am I going to stage my firearm at home. So what do you think the take home needs to be to get more people, more firearm owners, to start storing these weapons in a, in a safe way? I think there's a few things. One is that we need to better understand what are the preferred storage devices firearm owners are open to using and make sure they're sort of available and affordable. The biggest thing, though, is working on sort of countering the, the messaging that's been in place from, uh, in large part, uh, firearm manufacturers, that the idea is that the world is dangerous and fearful and you better protect yourself. That message has been out there for decades and has really resonated with folks. We need to do a better job of equipping trusted voices with the ideas that, hey, safe storage, secure storage can help prevent a lot of other tragedies. And you really need to make your decisions based on the full understanding of the facts. Mike Anestis is the executive director of New Jersey's Gun Violence Research Center. Mike, thanks for sharing this study with us. Thank you. A Bergen County man has been arrested for an assault that happened outside a downtown Jersey City bar Sunday night. The victim described it as a hate crime, but Jersey City police authorities tell NJ Spotlight News they aren't investigating the incident as a bias attack. Mo Hamza, a Palestinian-American man, says he was assaulted outside a bar after another patron asked where he was from. He says a group of attackers yelled slurs at him and called him a terrorist, then punched him in the face, kicked, and spit on him. 
31-year-old Fidel Abdallah was charged with aggravated assault, but the Jersey City Police says the investigation remains active. Now, according to the FBI's Newark Field Office, incidents of hate and bias against Arab and Jewish Americans have increased by roughly 500 percent since the start of the Israel-Hamas war when compared to the nine months previous. The conflict is now in the seventh day of a temporary truce. The extension on the pause in the fighting followed an intense last-minute deal with Hamas to free more hostages and get more aid into Gaza. So far, 70 Israeli hostages have been released and 210 Palestinian prisoners freed from the warring sides. The long, drawn-out fight over banning smoking on casino floors was punted again today by lawmakers who were scheduled to vote on a bill that would completely ban anyone from lighting up. A legislative committee today heard passionate and at times tense testimony from people on both sides of the issue. But despite bipartisan support, the bill continues to struggle to make it to a vote. Ted Goldberg is in Trenton with the latest. Ted. Brianna, the debate on banning smoking in casinos has become two different issues entirely depending on who you ask. For the folks who work in the casinos, they say it's unhealthy and unfair that they have to breathe in all the smoke while they're working, while others think there could be a lot of damage caused to the casinos in Atlantic City if smoking is banned. I was at a funeral for a 54-year-old dealer on Tuesday, non-smoker, died of lung and thyroid cancer. Um, so the sad stories are over. The facts are in. I mean, there is no debate to be had. There is no compromise to be had. It's been 17 years since our lives were exempt from the protection of the Smoke-Free Air Act. We, what we face on a daily basis is degrading and cruel. At some point in that process, I was told that if I did not cut out an exemption for the casinos, the bill would never pass the assembly. And I realized that provision was right. It was a self-interest. It was wrong. It was horribly wrong. Those of us in South Jersey and Philadelphia know how short that commute is. And the impact absolutely would, would be there economically. Smokers would be traveling to live casinos. So timing-wise, in a perfect world, Pennsylvania and New Jersey banned smoking together. This is 17 years of pregnant mothers, like myself, who had to work in the smoke, putting had to make the impossible choice of putting their unborn children in harm's way just to earn a paycheck and keep their health insurance. Employees have to choose between their health and their paycheck to support their families is barbaric and awful. Fewer people will come to Atlantic City if there is a complete ban. Fewer people will come to Atlantic City, fewer people will eat there, drink there, buy things, stay there. There will be a reduction in um, jobs, there will be a reduction in uh, development. We've evolved a long way as a culture, as a society, where people would smoke on a regular basis everywhere, on television, in restaurants, in bars, um, maybe not in church, but you know, elsewhere. Uh, but it was, and, and now you think back at those times, and it seems like a thousand years ago, but it wasn't. If 500 jobs were laid off in the county, it would have a significant impact that we're not prepared for. Atlanta County, unfortunately, does not have a lot of economic diversification. We oversee millions of dollars of chips in front of us at any given time. So we can't move, we can't walk away, we can't turn our head, we can't wave it away, we can't do anything. We have to suck it up and keep on dealing. I think this is an important and healthy discussion. Uh, this is a discussion that needs to happen. Um, I will support 
tax subsidies to support our casinos. I will support economic development for construction for our casinos. Uh, I don't, I, I can't mix that when it comes to smoking because I know the direct impact smoking has on people. With no majority, Senator Joseph Vitale says it'll be another month until this bill gets a vote, prolonging the saga between casinos and the folks who work there. Brianna? Okay, thank you, Ted. Well, more than 800,000 workers in New Jersey could see more job protections if they use paid family leave insurance. Lawmakers in the Assembly Labor Committee today moved a bill that'll expand the program and require any business in the state to provide paid family leave, along with job security while the worker is out, regardless of the number of employees. The current Family Leave Act applies only to businesses with 30 or more workers. Advocates say that leaves about one in five people at risk of being fired for taking family leave to care for a newborn or a sick family member. Research from the Rutgers Center for Women and Work found hourly and low-paid employees, they're the most vulnerable. But business groups warn it'll put more regulatory burdens on employers and expose small business owners to potential lawsuits. New Jersey expanded the paid family leave law in 2019, but bill sponsors say the state is one of the few in the country that doesn't have job protections written into the program. The bill now heads for a full vote in the assembly. In our Spotlight on Business report tonight, the state's corporate business tax surcharge isn't going to expire without a fight. A number of progressive groups today rallied outside the state house in Trenton, asking lawmakers to make a last-ditch effort that'll keep the 2.5% surcharge alive before it sunsets at the end of the year. They see it as the equivalent of cutting a massive check to some of the state's most profitable businesses. But Governor Murphy, he's not budging. Senior correspondent Joanna Gagas reports. Pay up! Amazon! Pay up! Amazon! Several organizations that make up the coalition for the many gathered outside the statehouse annex today demanding that Governor Murphy reverse course on letting the corporate business tax surcharge sunset at the end of this legislative session. We are here to say and to urge that lawmakers and the governor make sure that we do not give the largest corporations in our state a $1 billion tax cut on the backs of working people in our state. The tax surcharge was enacted in 2018 and increases the tax on businesses whose net profit is more than a million dollars. It was extended during the COVID-19 pandemic, but Governor Murphy promised to let it expire at the end of this year. These corporations have committed to invest more here and create more jobs. I think a deal's a deal. But these groups cry foul on that deal. Why is it that the deal that we're caring about is a deal with the world's largest corporations? And not just New Jersey corporations. These are corporations, multinational corporations that happen to do business in New Jersey, that make money off of us. Why is the deal with them the one that counts? What about the deal with New Jersey's commuters and the people who use transit every day to get to work, to get to doctor's appointments, to get to school? They're calling for this tax to be renewed and to be allocated as a permanent funding source for NJ Transit, which is facing a $1 billion budget hole next year. Some lawmakers, like Paul Sarlo, chair of the Senate Budget Committee, are calling for a dedicated funding source to keep the agency from falling off that fiscal cliff. The governor addressing NJ Transit today said, But all options on NJ Transit are on the table. It's a work in progress. It's not hanging over our head tomorrow. 
So this is really a fiscal, this is really two years from now. Why are we writing a billion dollar check to ExxonMobil instead of writing a billion dollar check to New Jersey Transit? Or to a number of other social support programs that these advocates say would help struggling working families. We see firsthand that trickle down economics, it doesn't work. There are too many families in crisis here in New Jersey, and we need to assist and invest in our communities and in our families, and we need long-term sustainable funding for things like affordable housing and rental assistance to expand the child tax credit and more. And you know what we don't need? Who doesn't need our help? Our wealthiest corporations like Amazon, Walmart, Bank of America. You know, they're taking, they're taking the money and they're gonna run. This is not small business, okay? This is not mom and pop. This is not a pizzeria. Yet still, business and industry organizations have applauded the surcharge sunsetting, saying it'll be good for the state's business climate. But as for whether increasing the surcharge could drive businesses out of New Jersey, Maura Collins grew from NJ Policy Perspective says, No, there's no evidence of that whatsoever. As a matter of fact, Choose New Jersey, which has issued report after report, has talked about the number of companies coming to New Jersey. And so, you know, this is nothing that has, you know, discouraged business. They are making record profits, and there is really no reason to let this sunset. The groups here with For the Many say that even if this corporate business tax surcharge does expire at the end of this legislative session, they're going to pick back up with this work to fight to get it renewed at the beginning of the next legislative session. In Trenton, I'm Joanna Gag. NJ Spotlight News. The temporary CBT surcharge helped generate millions of dollars in extra revenue for the state at a time when Governor Murphy and the Democratic-led legislature have been increasing spending. But the scheduled expiration of the tax comes just as New Jersey is facing a budget gap and other fiscal challenges. Our budget and finance writer John Reitmeyer took a closer look at how the tax has been used and just how we got here. He joins me now. So, John, we were inevitably always coming to this day, right? I mean, this was always going to expire. It shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. Yeah, that's absolutely true. In fact, this tax was extended once before, so originally put in place in 2018. And we have to remember that was a time when a lot of big corporations were getting a tax break. When Donald Trump was president, there was a lot of momentum in, in Democratic states like New Jersey, to sort of come back at that and maybe change tax policy at the state level, which is what New Jersey did. It was supposed to go away at the end of 2021. We were in the middle of COVID. There were big concerns about the state budget at the time. So they added a few more years, which takes us up to the end of 2023. Now, there were some groups that Joanna Gagas reported about who were making the case for why this surcharge should remain. You wrote about a number of fiscal challenges in front of the state. What are they? Why would this be helpful? Yes, certainly the state's in a position again where it starts to need revenue. We just came off of a period where tax collections were roaring. The state has built up a decent budget surplus. Things like the pension obligation are being funded. All good things when you're looking at it from a fiscal perspective. But this last budget that lawmakers enacted, they added on a bunch of spending at the end. And so now we're projected to spend a, a lot more than we're going to take in in projected revenues. And revenues so far this, this uh, fiscal year have been less than they were last year. So we're getting into some of those situations where the, the numbers start to misalign. And that's a big concern. Wasn't there talk at one point, though, very quickly, to maybe lower the surcharge rate and keep it uh, permanently? Is there a case to be made for that? 
So again, putting it in the context of these New Jersey transit concerns, the projected shortfalls for New Jersey transit are about a billion dollars in the not too distant future. That's a big issue for lawmakers because and traditionally the state budget's been used to offset problems with New Jersey Transit's funding. So that would be something that you know, the lawmakers in the past have tried to say, let's use, maybe keep a slice of this surcharge. Remember, businesses pay right now the top end 11.5%. It would fall back down to 9%, still one of the highest in the nation, but not the highest in the nation. So can you add a little bit more even as you reduce it? and not get the business community too upset and bring in revenue for things like mass transit or other key investments. That's sort of the policy tension right now for lawmakers and the governor as they go forward. Yeah, the argument has been looking at a pro-growth mindset. The governor would say, but where do we go from here? We've got just a couple of weeks, December 31st, until it sunsets, what happens next? We're going to have a budget discussion coming up in February, and they're going to have to come to grips with some of these issues. We're going to get an idea of how much the current budget is is in align in alignment with the projections. And so a lot still has to happen uh, in in long range, this is a billion dollars in revenue that would be lost when this surcharge goes away. So that's a big amount that they're that lawmakers are going to have to wrap their arms around. John Reitmeyer for us. John, thanks so much. You're welcome. On Wall Street, inflation continued to cool in October. According to the Fed's data on personal spending, that sent stocks soaring today. Here's how the markets closed. Support for the Business Report is provided by Newark Alliance, which curates the Newark Holiday Festival, a collaborative calendar of holiday events in Newark's Arts and Education District. More details available at newarkholidayfestival.com. Tune in this weekend to NJ Business Beat with Raven Santana. She looks at how New Jersey is preparing for the growth of artificial intelligence, as well as the wide-ranging uses for the technology, including security at schools and boardwalks. Watch it on the NJ Spotlight News YouTube channel Saturday at 10 a.m. And that's going to do it for us tonight. Bud, make sure you catch Reporters Roundtable with David Cruz tomorrow. David looks into the battle for the party line. He talks to Rutgers University professor Julia Sass-Rubin about her new research on the power of the party line and how it could affect the race for U.S. Senate. Then a panel of local reporters break down this week's big political headlines. Watch Roundtable tomorrow at noon on the NJ Spotlight News YouTube channel. I'm Brianna Venozzi for the entire NJ Spotlight News team. Thanks for being with us. Have a great evening. We'll see you tomorrow. NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years. And by the PSCG Foundation. Have some water. Look at these kids. How are you? What do you see? I see myself. I became an ESL teacher to give my students what I wanted when I came to this country. The opportunity to learn, to dream, to achieve, a chance to belong and to be an American. My name is Julia Toriani Crompton and I'm proud to be an NJEA member.